0: really in in terms of truly focusing in, uh, I I, I follow a group of very smart people on Twitter. And when I do have bandwidth outside my day and night job, I look at Twitter and almost always find something or an article somebody has shared that I want to learn from.
1: Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. We're excited today to have three amazing folks with us who are going to share about their collaborations on the book, Thriving in Academia. So much in this book, so much to learn. We're so glad to have you with us today. As you'll probably notice, my co-host Tiffany Snyder will not be with us today, but she has recorded some bios of our, our guests. So here they are.
2: Reagan Gurung serves as the Associate Vice Provost and Executive Director of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Oregon State University. Reagan is a social psychologist by training, with research encompassing social, health, and pedagogical psychology. Over 125 of his articles have been published in peer-reviewed journals, and he has co-authored and co-edited 15 books. He was a founding co-editor of APA's journal, Scholarship of Teaching and Learning in Psychology. He co-chaired the APA General Psychology Initiative and is past president of PSYCHI, the International Honor Society in Psychology, and the Society for the Teaching of Psychology. Reagan is a passionate teacher and has been recognized as the Case Wisconsin Professor of the Year. The University of Wisconsin System Regents Teaching Award, multiple University of Wisconsin Green Bay Awards, and the American Psychology Foundation's Charles L. Brewer Award for Distinguished Teaching. Pam Ansberg has spent her 20 plus year career at teaching focused institutions. She holds a PhD in cognitive psychology with a focus on understanding insightful problem solving. She is currently a full professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences at Metropolitan State University of Denver. She has earned multiple teaching awards and has mentored more than 100 undergraduate student researchers. She serves as a designated advisor for undergraduate psychology students interested in graduate studies. Pam has held several administrative positions, including the Associate Director of the Honors Program from Letters, Arts, and the Sciences, and the Interim Director for Faculty Engagement in the MSU Denver Classroom to Career Hub. She has also established the Undergraduate Research Program at MSU Denver and led its development. Pam has been an active member of the Society for the Teaching of Psychology, including serving as the Vice President for Recognition and Awards. Mark Basham has a doctorate in neuroscience and a 20-year career in higher education. He is currently an associate professor at Regis University in Denver, where he has been director of the neuroscience program for the past 12 years. He was also chair of the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience for seven years. Mark's research focuses on the neural mechanisms of experience-dependent plasticity in the context of motor learning and cognitive aging. Mark has been an academic advisor, student club advisor, and faculty senator. He has mentored many undergraduate students in his research lab. He's been a member of a variety of service committees during his career and chaired the university's Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee, Academic Council, and the Faculty Handbook Committee. He is a longstanding member of the National Faculty for Undergraduate Neuroscience Organization. He has also served on advisory boards for sci and regional neuroscience organizations. It is a privilege and an honor to welcome to digital to learn Regan Garung. Pam Ansberg, and Mark Basham. Welcome, folks.
1: Thank you so much, Tiffany, and welcome to the show, Pam. Hello. Mark Basham. Hello there. And the bravest man in the bunch, Regan Garung, who's back for his second round
0: of Digital to Learn. So welcome back, Regan. Indeed. It must have been a good one because, you know, I'm back. (laughs) It was good for us. I don't know. Yeah, it it was good.
1: It was good for me. As I mentioned, uh, the three of you have collaborated on an amazing book, Thriving in Academia, Building a Career at a Teaching-Focused Institution. We're going to dig into that book. But one of the things we'd like to do first is to get to know our guests a little bit on the personal side. So I have some questions here I'd like each of you to answer, and you can do this in any order you wish. Um, The the first question
3: is your favorite culinary experience? Well, I'm going to let... Pam answer this one first, because I know what her answer is.
4: (laughs) I guess. So uh, Mark and I are, of course, not only co-authors, but we're married. Uh. And so our uh, favorite culinary experience is a shared one. And it's actually a set of experiences. About five years ago, we started a family tradition with our kids. We called it International Dinner Night. And for International dinner night, each one of us, so there are five of us in the family, each one of us picks for a, one month what kind of dinner we want to go to f- that is uh, serves cuisine that's not American. And because Mark and I are both professors, it didn't end there, you also had to do a presentation about the country. <laughs> and because our children... PowerPoint?
3: Complete PowerPoint?
4: Yeah, it, it could have be been
3: Uh, Go ahead, Mark. It it evolved because our children are, uh, you know, competitive. It started with just reading from Wikipedia about, uh, for example, Indian cuisine. And then it evolved into uh, PowerPoints and visual aids. and uh, Multimedia experiences. Got to the point that we were going to uh, theater productions based on the uh, the cuisine. So uh, it became a whole thing.
4: Yeah, and now our kids, uh, we our last one went to college this year. So something we're missing, um, but we're really enjoying those memories. What
1: a wonderful tradition.
4: That's
0: awesome. Here's another good sign of why the three of us work together and are good friends. That uh, a version of that is exactly what our family did starting two years ago during the pandemic when we were isolated. And and indeed, we did have PowerPoints. And <laughs> the, the twist was because it was the pandemic, um, we actually cooked an entire meal from the country that we picked. So that was part of the, the deal is we've got to pick that country's most uh, key dishes and cook it from scratch. Uh, and we did that. And that was just just a, a big thrill as well. That is wonderful.
1: What a great,
3: what a great tradition. What a great way to bring family members together. It, uh, uh, Regan, I'm sure you've experienced this, but it does get more difficult as time goes on. You start to use up all of the loaf hanging fruit and uh, start to get some obscure countries in their cuisine. Well,
0: so the way we did it was we literally spun a globe that we had and with eyes shut, placed a finger. So
4: (laughs) that's good.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, second question. Favorite musical or theater performance? Mine was
4: uh, right before Broadway was shut down by COVID. I was lucky enough to go to New York um, and meet up with my childhood friend. And she and I uh, stood online in Times Square to get half price tickets. Um, And we got to see the musical Beautiful. And we were lucky enough also to be in the front row. And it was an absolutely amazing experience. The the talent and being surrounded by that music was just unbelievable. I'm a huge fan. live theater nut. And I'm not usually into musicals that much, but oh boy, this was something else. Really amazing.
1: You got front row seats at TKTS? Yes. That's amazing. Yes.
3: Wow. <laughs> yes. wow. yes. Hey, Mark, top that one. Uh, well, mine doesn't top that one. Mine uh, goes back quite a ways. Um, and, and if this were a visual medium, you could see behind me um, a little hint of it. Uh, I spent a summer following the Grateful Dead uh, up and down the coast, the West Coast, um, in my younger days, and uh, to this day, that's still probably my favorite uh, musical experience. Oh, amazing! How many how many stops did you hit with them? Uh, well, we were at probably a dozen or so shows. We didn't get into all of them. Um, you know, this was pre-internet, so you know, getting tickets uh, was happening in the parking lots. Um, so I probably saw seven or eight uh, shows during that swing, but uh, I was in the parking lot for the others. Uh,
0: it was quite a summer. That is awesome. Awesome. Okay, Regan. Well, let us down. Mine has some nostalgic elements as well. To sort of date me, um, I was in grad school in Seattle when Nirvana and Pearl Jam were doing their thing. The first time I ever stood in line to get a midnight release of an album was for Pearl Jam's album Versus. And related to that, my favorite musical experience is many, many years later on their 20th anniversary tour, I saw them live at Madison Square Garden. So uh, that that for me would be would be up there. It hits the it hits the old uh, the heart. You know, there's so many things connected to that memories of grad school and Seattle and and all of that. Wow. Great answers. To me, this is the best. I mean,
1: we're going to get into some good conversations, obviously, but <laughs> this is my favorite part of the podcast, uh, getting to learn more about our guests on the personal side. And the last question is your favorite source for learning. How do you tap into what's going on or what you'd like to learn more about?
3: Yeah, this is this is a tough question for me because um, I, I feel like I'm always trying to learn, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, I read the newspaper every day. I am always going down rabbit holes on the internet uh, for information. I enjoy talking to colleagues, especially the colleagues that are in departments far afield from my own um, here here at Regis. So um, I I can't really pinpoint one favorite source. Um, I'm just constantly uh, seeking out uh, new knowledge and, and new information.
4: Mark teaches himself all sorts of tricks and skills on the uh, YouTube. He is like the uh, the greatest autodidact person I've ever met. He can he learns how to you know change the brakes on a car. He learns how to fix uh, pipes. He's always on online learning new new skills. Pretty amazing to see. That's
1: excellent,
4: Pam. Do you have one? Um, I'm sort of same with Mark. Um, I am constantly reading, but usually, um I'll say that most of my reading is I read a lot of fiction. And I also try to find things in that fiction to spark ideas and make connections to what I'm thinking about in my professional life. And, you know, as a psychology professor and research, my research area is focuses on creativity. So I'm really always trying to look at, how how do people describe their own creative process and how do, how is it represented in novels? And I also really um, very, very much enjoy talking with colleagues who are outside my department, a lot of interdisciplinary conversations to hear about how other fields are addressing some of the same issues that we are faced with and seeing how we can connect that to to what we're doing, so.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, perhaps foreshadowing one of the topics we'll talk about, I've found that in the last two years in particular, I've worked really hard to filter and, uh, and narrow down what I'm distracted by, because I'm very often distracted by all these things out there. And so my answer is that really, in in terms of truly focusing in, uh, I, I, I follow a group of very smart people on Twitter. And when I do have bandwidth outside my day and night job, I look at Twitter and almost always find something or an article somebody has shared that I want to learn from. So that seems to be on top of my, that's where I'm picking up new things. I wish... There's just not been enough time in the last couple of years, or opportunities, I think, for re- conversations outside the department, or gosh, even in the department. So I am really finding that you know those those good postings on on Twitter open up rabbit holes that I then dive down. And I mean, just just last week I uh, followed a teaching the science of teaching posts back and forth on Twitter. That was actually one of the most exciting things that I did recently was it was just great to see all these great posts and follow them and and learn a lot of uh, interesting material, so. There are just so many avenues to learning these days. And I wonder at what
1: level do you think we're fully maximizing those in our teaching and learning with our
0: own students? Absolutely. I mean, completely one of those questions of when I think as instructors, we look at what we're doing. And, you know, great reminder to say, just because we're used to doing things a certain way and, and all three of us here have been doing things a certain way for some time, but also uh, the neat thing about it, I think the three of us is, as you could just see from those responses to learning is that openness to say, here's what's going on and how can we best use that and modify what we're doing. And I think that's, what's exciting. And that was one of the really exciting parts of working with Pam and Mark is having these conversations and reading each other's drops and saying, oh, I, I didn't know about that. Oh, I didn't know about that, and, you know, things like. Very good.
1: If you're listening, and I know we we like to estimate our listeners, uh, we used to say millions. We're close to a billion listeners now. <laughs> and um, I always like to, when I, especially when I have guests who've written a new book, and this one is no exception. I will tell our listeners stop right now, turn this off go to your local best source for books and buy this book and read it, and then come back and listen. Um, the book of course is Thriving in Academia, Building a Career at a Teaching-Focused Institution. And as I as I went through this text and, and examined the topics that you've covered, these are things I wish I had known. Um, and I, I think I have colleagues who are in, probably in the same boat. So the first question I would have for you is, how did the three of you come together and generate this idea for a book?
3: I, I'll, I'll let Pam answer that, Brad, but I, I will say it's it's really heartening to hear you say these are things that you wished you had known, because that's really why we wrote the book. We wrote the book because these are all the things that we wished we had known um, at, at the time. So. But but I, I'll let Pam give the more uh, flowery uh, description at the beginning of the book.
0: Well, but Pam is the origin story. so Yeah, she is the origin of the book. Yeah, yeah.
4: Okay. yeah well, so I mean, so Regan and I have been working together for uh, 20 plus years. And uh, we but most of that actually was through email for a long period of time. And uh, we just, uh, through uh, the Society of Teaching for Psychology, we we got connected and we worked on all sorts of committees together, again, electronically, through email, um, and then um, started to meet up at conferences and, and build a, even a stronger relationship. And of course, Mark and I are married, so <laughs> that's how we got him involved. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we were at a conference together, and uh, Regan and I were sitting down um, talking and uh, sort of just catching up and then um, t- Mark came also to this to this dinner that we had and we started to really think about what could we do sort of that would help our colleagues who are start just starting out in this kind of career because one of the things we realized is that you know none of us was was really trained for teaching focused, career in higher ed. We were all trained as researchers and we all love research, um, but we didn't, we chose not to go to research focused institutions. And we had a lot of struggles, I think, trying to balance our training and what our jobs were actually. And so talking to each other sort of, we had to sort of muddle through that. And then um, as we have sort of aged in the field, we started to talk to our less seasoned colleagues and started to hear them have the same struggles that we had. And so we thought it was really important to fill this gap where we have all of these professors who are in teaching-focused positions because they love them, but there really wasn't any support for how to do that job well.
1: So so being trained as researchers, how did you discover your attraction to the process of teaching (laughs) that's a a good one
0: i can pinpoint it to the the day that i was asked to give a guest lecture in a friend's class a a friend's class when i was in graduate school it was a graduate student teaching a course and he said hey uh would you like to do a a one-hour section on stuff that's related to your research and at that point I had been a complete research assistant. All my funding was to do research. I didn't have to te- I didn't have to be a teaching assistant. I hadn't taught a class, nothing. And I still remember the high that I got after that first day. It was the connection. It was seeing students light up with the material and right there and then I knew I needed more of that. Mm. And that was <laughs> 25 I, plus years ago. I,
3: That's awesome. I, I suspect we all have a similar story because yes, mine sweetie. sounds a lot like <laughs> Regan's. I I remember uh, I started, I taught my first uh, course as an affiliate faculty, primarily for the money, just, just for the money. Um, you know, I was a postdoc researcher and needed a little extra money. And uh, I remember that very first day of class uh, with all those students staring at me and miraculously, I was able to uh, convey some information to them and saw that it was received. uh, And that just gives a thrill that now, 20 some odd years later, I still get uh, every time I step in front of a classroom, so.
4: Yeah, and I would say my experience is even maybe more, I don't know, stronger in that I was certain that I wanted to be a researcher and I wanted nothing to do with teaching. And unlike Regan and my graduate program, I was not, they didn't have a research assistant position for funding for me. And so they said, you can either be a teaching assistant or get no funding. And I was really unhappy about that. And of course, took the teaching assistant position. And I had uh, the professor that I was a teaching assistant for was very strongly focused on providing good teaching. And so he he gave me a lot of guidance, but one of the things that he said was, you're gonna to need to do these review sessions for, for our students. Cause I thought, well, fine, I'll just do, this was a major 300 person introductory psychology course. I'll keep track of the grades and that will be it. And I won't have to do any teaching is what I was hoping. And he insisted that I run research, I run review sessions for the students and uh, gave lectures in class and exactly the same thing. I can I can reflect exactly on the same experience. The very first uh, review session, the very first moment I stepped into that review session and saw the students and they asked questions and they were engaged and they wanted to learn. It was like obviously transformative. And uh, my whole career trajectory changed at that point. I still love research, but um, I'm glad that I was forced into trying teaching.
0: And, and Brad, if I could just add a, another little reflection that actually connects Mark and me in a very different way. I mean, you know, we're like, oh, Mark and Pam are married. They live in the same blah, blah, blah. But Mark and I have a different connection that's very different from Pam's connection. And this relates to your question and to, I think, the motivation for the book. Uh, Mark and I both went, were well, both undergraduates at Carlton College in Northfield, Minnesota. And um, I, I, I wanna say that my passion, I'm not gonna speak for Mark, but my passion, I know it's reflected with Mark, really comes from the fact that in on reflection, I realized how much the uh, teachers at Carlton really cared about teaching and I know this because I was in grad school I attended a Carlton College session for high school students and their parents and I showed up as an alumni member and I was very surprised when I was uh, when all of us alumni and attendants were asked to come to the front of the hall and all these parents and high school students looked at us and they asked us right off this was a cold cold ask as it were what do you remember about Carlton? And you know, this was the deer in the headlight moment because this was not something we prepared for. And what came into my head, I think, is a reflection of how I feel about teaching and where it came from. And the thing that came into my head was I remember how much the teachers cared about teaching. And when I heard myself say that, I knew that that was the kind of teacher I wanted to be.
3: Well, and I can echo that, Regan. I have a distinct memory of sitting in a, a psych course. Uh, at Carleton and and watching the professor and thinking, I wanna do that. I wanna be that guy. Um, I wanna do that. Now, I, I forgot that during my PhD training and my postdoctoral research, but um, later on, I, I, I remembered back to that moment and thought, well, it was it was predestined that, that I would end up here. That wraps up the first part of our conversations with Pam Ansberg,
1: Mark Basham, and Regan Gurung. We certainly know that you'll wanna come back and hear other exciting things that they have to share with us. So we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future.
2: Always keep learning.